20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's going on, Packer fans? Happy Wednesday. Welcome back to an all new episode of the Pack a Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. Thanks so much for being here today. I'm joined once again by my good friend, Sam Monson. You can follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Sam. He is the lead PFF NFL analyst. You can also find him as the co-host of the PFF NFL pod. Sam, great to have you back. How the heck are you doing? Doing well. How about you? I am doing great as well, although not quite as great. Coming off a little bit of a disjointed Packers loss at the hands of the Las Vegas Raiders. You know that line of like when you see the Vegas line and it seems fishy that it probably is fishy. That was one going in where it was Raiders minus two. And I think, I, I don't know, maybe from your side of things, maybe from the outside looking in, it made a little bit more sense. But I think a lot of Packer fans were like, really Raiders minus two. And then, you know, if it's fishy, it probably is fishy. And this one was fishy. And it ex- exactly was that Raiders get the win. Yeah. I mean, Vegas, the the, the odds makers had it correct, right? Um, but I, I kind of agree with you. It felt like a game that Green Bay should have won going into it. And even during the game, it felt like a game that, you know, eventually something's going to click and the Packers will ease away or, or show that they're the better team because, you know, the Raiders aren't good. Yeah. <laughs> like, like we had some, um, you know, optimism about Green Bay earlier in the season and, and I think I feel like that was a game that did get away, even if it ended up proving the odds makers right. It did. It's the second one, probably not too, because Atlanta, you had the one where they had the 12 point lead going into the fourth quarter on the road. That one gets away. This one felt like it got away too. even, you know, Josh McDaniels did everything he could with his fourth down decision instead of going for one yard against this Packers defense, kicks the field goal, doinks off the upright. And it just felt like man, somehow they're going to find a way to get away with it. And alas, that was not the case. So just a a disjointed game from, I think, both teams. Not great from the Raiders either, but unfortunately a little bit worse from the Packers side of things. Let's just start there. This has been more of a struggle lately for Green Bay. As you said, there was a little bit of optimism early. They look good against the Bears. Yes, it's the Bears, but they look good against the Bears. Uh, They look good for three quarters against the Falcons and then blow it. They look terrible for three quarters against the Saints, but then win it. Sort of the reverse of those two. Then the Lions get the better of them. They lose to the Raiders. What what have we learned about this Packers team through five weeks now? Yeah, I think they're still, as a team, kind of trying to get things together, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. You know, I think the defense is its own thing, um, and it's been much better. The front seven has been dramatically better than last year. They're getting pressure. Gary looks fantastic. They're presumably going to ramp up his workload at some point when they do. I think you're... You're sitting on a, a defensive player of the year type of performance, albeit there's six or seven guys in the NFL that are at yeah. that level at the moment. Um, but the offense, it's like we, we've talked about Jordan Love before. He's still functional, but he's making mistakes, right? And, and early in the season, he wasn't making as many. And the mistakes are more obvious now that the situation has gotten worse. The offensive line through the first couple of weeks had allowed like four pressures or something crazy. Um, and then they've been steadily allowing more and more pressure. And a guy like Max Crosby has a day against the Raiders and now he's under pressure a lot. So um, everything around him, like his circumstances that right at the start of the season, I think were pretty good have been getting worse in addition to him still having um, still making mistakes, still not being the most accurate quarterback in the world. So now you've kind of got all these, these elements of, 
Jordan Love is not efficient enough to, um, you know, to, to carry everything by himself. This young receiving core, who I, I still like, I think they're talented. I think they've got skills. They're, they're making enough mistakes you know, as young players that that's not helping. Um, and the offensive line is now deteriorating and getting worse and making their version of mistakes, which is you know, letting pressure and, and putting everything else in a tougher spot. And those things are all combining now to just sort of create this inefficient offense. It isn't really able to get out of its own way and, and stop making enough mistakes to just move the ball down the field. I'm, I'm so glad you said that too. It, it does feel like collectively, I don't know that there's any one player that I look at. I know, um, you know, Dylan's had some ups and downs, but collectively, I don't know if there's any one player that I'm just like, this is not a, you know, potential starting caliber NFL player. We've seen it from them at some point in time. Like, but everyone to a T is making some level of mistakes and it's just almost like a different player on a different play every single time. And I, I know when you have a young team, there's going to be that volatility and those ups and downs, but you almost have a, a group of players that nobody's exactly playing their best brand of football right now. And it's affecting everyone around them and making them play worse. And it's just kind of like this, like combined structure of like, you don't know what you're going to get on a down to down basis. It really is. And it, it is this combination, you know, they, they, when you have sort of let's call those three separate um, you know elements of the offense the the protection the quarterback himself and then the receivers those are three separate areas where somebody can make a mistake during a play any one of which can ruin the play right and if they time them so that they're not happening at the same play now you're just ruining three times the number of plays that you could potentially be and you, you've seen that throughout the game right like Jordan Love makes a nice play and then Romeo Dobbs drops a ball right it's like yeah. You know, Dobbs is a solid player, but he's not good enough that he can afford to be dropping these passes. Like if you're Romeo Dobbs, you need to be making those plays because you don't have the crazy physical attributes that some of these other guys do. You need to be the solid receiver that makes every one of those catches and, you know, takes it for a first down when it's there. Um, the play right at the end of the game, right? Christian Watson is wide open early in the play. But the moment he's open is exactly the moment the protection is breaking down and Jordan Love has to start moving. And then by the time he finds him again, it's too late, right? And that's like a, a mistake on top of a mistake. Like he didn't, it wasn't there early when the protection was breaking down. And by the time Jordan Love got the play back under control, it probably wasn't there anymore. And he ends up compounding the mistake by throwing a jump ball to basically the DB instead of the receiver. So uh, that's really just what we're talking about here is it's, it's, I think a young, talented offense, but with that lack of experience, I think comes just more mistakes than other more experienced units would be making, and they're compounding on each other. Yeah, to, to your point, that last drive is like the perfect microcosm of what the way things are going right now because you have Love throwing accurate pass to Dobbs, and Dobbs drops it, which is not indicative of what Dobbs normally does, but on that play, right. he drops the ball. Luke Musgrave drops one over the middle, a little bit more of a difficult catch, but probably one he should have had and would tell you he should have had, and he drops that one. And then to your point, like I, th I think it might have been Jenkins that got beat on the play uh, on the last one, whoever it was. It's like if 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 Love's – and I think he is looking for Watson. I know LaFleur is like jumping up on the sidelines because Watson beats his guy, right. but it's like the one time that that lineman gets beat, and then now all of a sudden you don't get the big explosive play – if everyone just does their their lame cliche 111th, it looks a whole heck of a lot better. And it's not like you're looking at this entire offense as this atrocity, but it's just the little mistakes here and there. 
And I think, was it also the final drive where um, Love did just inaccurate underthrown pass to, to A.J. Dillon, who couldn't quite pick it up yeah. off the floor? Like, If not the last one, it was right around, it was right around the end of the game, too. Yeah, and- so it's like every sort of drive has got at least one or two of these plays where somebody's screwing up. And it's either yep. the quarterback, it's the protection, it's the receivers, maybe it's two at the same time. But it's enough. Like, the, the, the offense is not good enough to be able to overcome that volume of mistakes. That brings us to the next one, because I know in Green Bay land, there's a lot of angst and maybe frustration about Matt LaFleur. This is now gone from the the Joe Barry, which still exists to some extent, although I thought this was a good game from the defense overall, Raiders or not. Um, this is now transitioned to Matt LaFleur and his, you know, sort of how he's coaching this team and how he's playing, you know, play calling and all that sort of stuff. From your vantage point, how do you view Matt LaFleur as a head coach and a play caller? I think he's a good head coach, a good play caller. Um, I, I don't think that Matt LaFleur is the problem here, you know, and I don't even, I don't even think that, um, that there's necessarily a big collective blame to, to go around. I think we're, this is just kind of inevitable, right? If you don't have a quarterback, that's going to be a superstar right out of the gate. And maybe that's the one potential area of criticism is, you know, you've had this guy sitting there for a few years. You must've had a reasonable idea of what he was capable of. And, we're seeing that at the very minimum, he's not able to sort of elevate the play of everybody else around him, right? And he's not at that level of star where some of the other mistakes wouldn't be big problems because he's able to overcome all those kinds of things. But with the talent that they have, with the the roster in the current state that it is, which is not to say bad, but young and inexperienced and you know needs development and seasoning and work and time together... I think this is kind of inevitable. This is what you're going to get is some of these mistakes that other teams just aren't going to make. And all you can hope to do is to keep getting is to keep working at it. And hopefully there's a path through to the other side of that, where this group does improve and develop and and grow together. And then you have like a potentially very uh, formidable group. Yeah, I think so too. And you could tell in his press conferences, you know, he's frustrated right now. It sounds like they had a pretty long and my guess is probably a pretty intense team meeting when they got back uh, to Green Bay before they left for the bye week. You can tell they're a little bit searching for answers right now. I've kind of said, I think, I think Matt LaFleur, the play caller is in a tough situation because he's trying to run the ball, but they can't run the ball. Um, he's trying to get the ball downfield to open some things up, and they've been really inefficient throwing the ball deep. All of a sudden, you get to a point where you can't hit things deep and you can't run the football. They're not biting on play action quite as much, which we've seen from a couple of Jordan Love's interceptions recently. And it just like all of a sudden, there's not a whole heck of a lot. He's tried some screen plays this week. Those didn't work. It's like your playbook gets pretty thin if all of a sudden everything's not working the way that you're expecting it to. Yeah, the one thing I would say is that they've been historically bad at the deep ball. Um, I wouldn't go away from that. Like, I don't, I don't think that Jordan Love is somehow incapable of, of attempting a deep pass, you know, or is always going to be like the least efficient quarterback in the NFL at the deep ball. And that's the one thing that changes everything. If you hit a couple of those plays, you know, those explosive plays are everything. So it's been really bad. It, I'm not saying it hasn't been, but I wouldn't use that as an excuse to go away from it because... A, it'll probably come back in your direction at some point. Um, and B, if you can hit those, like that's the thing that changes how teams defend you. All right, here's the most important question and what's been distracting me for the last five minutes. Is that a Mutant League football poster uh, right behind you? 
It is, yeah. Like a it's Amazing. a canvas thing, like a oh. full canvas job. My brother got me that for a birthday a couple of years ago. That is absolutely amazing uh, that I have been now distracted, like trying to figure out exactly what it is. But now I am very, very jealous. All right. On, uh, back to the Packers now that I got that out of the way and can stop focusing on it, hopefully. Uh, Jordan Love, we talked about a little bit already. I think for the most part, this has kind of been the same Jordan, but we've seen his adjusted net yards per attempt go down every single week. We've seen his passer rating basically go down every single week. It felt like this was Jordan's worst game yet. I think you guys had it graded as such as well. Um, is, is this just declining, uh, you know, because he, you know, teams are figuring him out was, you know, do you view this as his worst game yet? Or how do you kind of view his progression or regression at this point? Yeah, I think it was his worst game. Um, but the thing is, they've all been kind of in the same area. You know, it's just that they've had dramatically different results. Like the more or less the same performance has resulted in a three touchdown, no interception, nine yard per attempt performance. It's also resulted in a zero touchdown, three interception, 6.1 yard per attempt performance. And they've been like, there was a difference between the two, but it wasn't that big. You know, we... I think the concerning thing in terms of Jordan Love is that we had this whole conversation of, you know, he comes out, he's a very raw prospect from Utah State, made a lot of mistakes, um, was a sort of volatile, big play, bad play type of quarterback, came off a bad year. You know, his the, the year before he came into the NFL was by far the better one, um, not necessarily his fault, like things changed around him and all those kinds of things. There were reasons for it, but that's always a a sort of a noteworthy element of a prospect, I think, is when they're coming into the NFL off a bad year. Um, and then he was sort of the, the perfect prospect, basically, to sit and learn, right? The, the, if you were saying, what kind of QB would we want to sit and develop from the bench for like three years? He's exactly the kind of guy you would want. It was a perfect situation for that. But then now we're, you know, five weeks into this starting season and he might just be the same guy he was when he came into the NFL. And that, I think, is a concerning or a potentially concerning thing for Green Bay is we're still looking at a guy who makes too many big mistakes. We're still looking at a guy who's not the most accurate quarterback in the world. Um, and then it's just a case of like where that balance lands in any given week. Right. If he makes two really bad mistakes, you're, you're in trouble. If he makes one you're probably okay. If he doesn't make any, it's a clean game. He, he ends up with a, you know, really nice stat sheet. And we're sort of talking ourselves up about Jordan loves potential, but those are like the sort of random swings of a quarterback that is capable of having those kind of highly volatile, big mistakes. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think it, it just all brings everything back to the margin for error right now in green Bay against Chicago and some of those games where the protection is good and maybe they don't have the level of pass rusher of an Aiden Hutchinson or a Max Crosby that they've seen the last two weeks and your receivers aren't dropping balls as much, things look pretty darn good. And then when you get more against a team that maybe has a couple of those defenders, the offensive line isn't protecting quite as much. You have some receivers dropping balls. You have Jordan not maybe seeing the field quite as well. And all of a sudden, the stat line looks a lot, a heck of a lot different. But it's just that margin for error is so slim all the way around for, for this young Green Bay team right now. What's going on, Packer fans? It is time 
that you make Little Caesars, which is the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day routine. If you guys know anything about me whatsoever, you know that I love pizza, that every time the Packers win, I have a victory pizza. And what you should also know is that victory pizza is from Little Caesars. I This is no joke. Little Caesars, by far and away, my favorite pizza. What you can do is you can order online during their Pizza Pizza pregame, one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs, plus all day on Sunday. And then you can get ready for football and fun Choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza. Pick the toppings you crave. Either way, you win. For me, I have the same order every single time. I'm going with their hot and ready pizza, pepperoni, no questions about it. And more importantly than anything else, always, 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 always get the crazy bread. It is, in my opinion, the best food that you can get on the market. I'm not joking. I love Crazy bread, love, love, love crazy bread. Get it every single time. You win when you get crazy bread. And speaking of winning, Literally everyone scores with convenient delivery or their in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends, enjoy a few slices during the game, and always get your victory pizza from Little Caesars. You won't regret it. Pizza, pizza. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you ever feel like your brain is getting in its own way? In college, I personally dealt with an addiction that was tough to get over. And while my mind kept telling me to do the right things and I wanted to do the right things, it was always hard trying to make the right choices in real time. What I eventually found out was that therapy can help you figure out what's holding you back and how to work for yourself instead of against yourself. Therapy has helped me with my past struggles and helped make me a better person today for my friends and my family. Therapy has helped me learn my trigger points, my destructive habits, and what positive steps to take to ensure that those negative behaviors turn into positive ones. If you're even thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be catered to your schedule and flexible to your individual needs. Make your brain your best friend with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash packaday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash pack a day. Hello, friends. Today, we're brought to you by Manscaped, who has taken a step up from Balloween to bring your face the cleanest shave it's ever seen. So this season, no need to toil in trouble. Manscaped's all-new handyman is the best way to get rid of that stubble. Featuring a compact design and next-gen skin-safe technology, the handyman was designed to give you that smooth finish without the mess of a traditional shave. Get the sweetest treat this Halloween by going to manscaped.com and using code PACKADAY for 20% off plus free shipping. I recently picked up Manscaped's new handyman and friends it is amazing. There are so many incredible aspects, but the fact that it has one guard that can trim to 20 different beard lengths is a game changer. Their skin safe technology is legit and getting through a full shave without any nicks and cuts gives me all the confidence in the world to go for that smooth, close shave. Oh, and you can use it for wet or dry use as well. So this amazing device does absolutely everything. Right now you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code packaday at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using code Packaday. For a look as sweet as candy, get yourself the handyman from Manscaped. It's finally football season, which means it's also finally daily fantasy football season. And while I get excited to play daily fantasy every year around this time, I'm even more excited this year because I'll be using prize picks for all my daily fantasy selections. Prize picks is really simple to play. You can make picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. Even better, they offer ultra quick withdrawals to make all your transactions super fast and easy. Also keep an eye out for weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts. My favorite, Taco Tuesday. Each Tuesday, prize picks discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. Before football season ramps up, I've been using prize picks for my MLB and college football picks as I prep for a season of winning in daily fantasy football. The experience has been amazing and it's increased my daily enjoyment of watching Brewers and Badger games. Now, 
it's time to get some Jordan Love entries in prior to this weekend's game. The great thing for me is that they offer Apple Pay, which makes depositing money into my account so incredibly easy. So what are you waiting for? Join me on Prize Picks by going to prizepickscom packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepickscom packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Yeah. And look, that's, you know, there are other quarterbacks in the NFL who are that sort of style, right? The big mistakes, highly volatile, but where you can make up for those mistakes is being more efficient or making more big plays. You know, Josh Allen is in, is this style of quarterback, but Josh Allen has improved his accuracy and his efficiency. um, And he makes more big plays. So those two things working together are why Josh Allen can make that volume of mistakes and still look like an MVP caliber quarterback love something needs to change right either the big mistakes need to get cut down and history says that probably doesn't happen because those quarterbacks tend not to that's that's part of their game that's part of their makeup so the other two things that can change are he needs to ramp up the volume of big plays he's making and that's where we talked about keep taking the deep shots right keep going because that's how you can offset a big mistake or he needs to get more efficient he needs to get more accurate he can't drop the ball at the feet of a running back when it's a relatively simple pass that he needs to like, those are plays he needs to hit. And it's possible to do that. Again, we've seen that Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson guys have improved that level of sort of baseline, simple accuracy. Um, But it doesn't happen that often. No, it doesn't. And like you said, and I think it's a really smart point is to, to begin with, you got to figure out one of them, either better accuracy, more playmaking or less mistakes, because otherwise, again, if you end up with a game like this, where you don't have the accuracy, you do have the mistakes and you don't have the playmaking. These are the sort of results that you can end up with, with very disappointing losses in Vegas to the Raiders. It's been a tough week. I know for Packer fans, uh, not a lot of positives to discuss, but I do feel like one of the positives has been Razul Douglas. He, I know, I think had a really, really great grade from you guys. I think a 90.9 grade. He, I thought he looked phenomenal. I I said all week, like if the rest of this team plays with the intensity and attention to detail that Razul Douglas did this week, this is a probably very different outcome against the Raiders. He had the two, you know, uh, trick plays where he was all over the the flea flicker that he breaks up, and then the play where they're trying to throw back uh, across the field to to Garoppolo. He's right there waiting for that one. Uh, I just thought his his brand of intensity and just attention to detail was really, really good in this game and kind of has been throughout the year so far. Yeah, he was really good in this game. Um, even just looking at the the pass breakups that he had, both of them were really good plays. Both of them were very different plays. You know, one of them was sort of sticking in tight coverage to a guy and then um, not necessarily winning a jump ball, but playing the receiver really well with a jump ball um, and making sure he couldn't come down with it. And then the other one was the kind of classic play that almost always fools that type of defense, right? They're running one of those deep over routes against the cover three. Look, that cover three corner is usually run off and he's gone. He's out of the play and you're hitting the space underneath him with that deep over. Instead, Razul Douglas reads it and breaks back towards the, the deep over and breaks that up with authority. That's It's a play you don't see corners make that often, but his awareness, his understanding of what was happening was good enough that he was able to put himself in position to go make that play. Just really good and that was those are just like his two highlight plays the rest yeah. of his game was was impressive as well one of the buzzword around green bay right now is accountability and you know holding players accountable one of my favorite things about Razul is he doesn't care who you are if you made a mistake he will call you out for it on the field there was the play where 
Keyshawn Nixon, I think, was supposed to switch off and undercut the route. He was all over Keyshawn on that one. Early in the year, he was on Rashawn Gary uh, for biting down too hard on a read option. On the play in this game where Rudy Ford was in the touchdown, it looked like Lucas Van Ness was supposed to drop. Ford was upset after the play, but Razul was running right over too and being like, you know, this can't happen. He, he knows – what's going on with this defense. He knows where everyone's supposed to be and he is not afraid to call people out for it on the spot. And I think for a young team um, that maybe needs a little of that, not only is he playing well in the field, but his attention to detail and his leadership, I think is really showing up for this team as well. Yeah. He's become a really, really impressive player uh, as his career has gone on. I, I, I spoke for a little bit about if, if green Bay really struggles these next two weeks and the trade deadline starts to come, like he could have been a name with Eric Stokes coming back. You've got Jair on the outside. You've got Nixon on the inside. You've got Carrington Valentine, who they like. I thought maybe they could entertain it. I think he, he's probably just too important, even from all the things that we just said. Um, but his contract's interesting next year. He doesn't super fit the timeline that they're on right now. And maybe if some wild them, they would consider it. But all the stuff, all the intangible stuff that he's showing, I just think is too important. That's not exactly Green Bay's way of doing business. So hopefully they just win their next two games and that's not an issue anyway, but that could be an interesting name if it does come up. I, I wanted to talk about uh, one other thing. We, we know kind of going into the season now that rookie tight ends are going to usually take a hot second to develop. It doesn't just happen overnight unless I guess you're Sam Laporta who's having a heck of a, a rookie season so far, but I wanted to talk about the tight end. This was supposed to be a very deep tight end class. It kicked off with Dalton Kincaid at 25, then Laporta at 34, Michael Mayer, who the Packers just played against, at 35. Then you had Musgrave at 42, uh, Shoemaker at 58, Brenton Strange at 61, and finally Tucker Craft at 78, kind of encompassing those first three rounds. They've been up and down. Laporta, I think, has clearly been uh, the creme de la creme of the tight end crop so far for Detroit. But other than that, it's been a little bit of a tough go, maybe as expected for these young tight ends so far. Yeah, it has been. And part of it is always opportunity. You know, you look at the the kind of list and the only three guys with more than, what, seven, five targets over the course of the season are Sam Laporta, Luke Musgrave and Dalton Kincaid. Right. Those three yeah. top guys are the only ones that have even featured as significant parts of the offense. Um, and obviously Laporta is the one guy who's in an offense right now that A, is is humming, is clicking, firing on all cylinders and B, doesn't necessarily have, you know, the complete array of weaponry that's kind of all the targets are already taken up, right? Mm -hmm. Luke Musgrave is is dealing, or sorry, um, Dalton Kincaid rather is dealing with this offense in Buffalo where most of the targets going to Stephon Diggs, and then they're trying to find that secondary guy. But Dalton Knox is going to get a ton. Gabe Davis is going to get a ton. Deontay Hardy is going to get a few. He's sort of fighting for scraps to try and carve a role within that offense. Mm -hmm. um, but I think you're. I, I think all three of those guys have shown enough that even if their their uh, grades in a couple of cases aren't the best, I, I think they're going to be good players. All three of them. Yeah, I think so too. And I think uh, you know the hard part with Musgrave and one of the things that I think a lot of people were trying to preach was was that patience with him in training camp preseason. He looked like he was going to be a major focal point of this offense. I remember there was a, a practice where he got the ball three times in a row. They were giving it to him on end arounds and reverses. Like yeah. it looked like he was going to be, uh, you know, just a, like I said, a major focal point and it hasn't exactly come to fruition. In fact, it almost felt like after getting chewed out a little bit on the sidelines, like they benched him for a little bit. We saw more Tucker Craft and Ben Sims than we had in previous games, at least for a stretch of that game. 
I still think he's going to be a super talented, uh, really good tight end in this league. But you can tell a lot of these guys still have a long way to develop, including Tucker Craft as well, who has a 41.9 grade from you guys right now. Yeah, I think I think Musgrave will be a really good player. Um, they obviously want to use him. Like he's such a creative talent. He's such a physical talent that they've been using him in those ways. Like you said in training camp, the the kind of the ways that you don't usually see tight ends deployed on those end arounds, those jet motions, that kind of thing. Um, but part of the reason that that being a good tight end right away in the NFL is a, is a difficult is it comes with blocking responsibilities, right? And it's not necessarily run blocking, though that's what everybody thinks about it. It's pass protection responsibilities as well. And there's, you know, you have to at least be viable in these areas before you can be on the field all the time and, and have the opportunity to make the plays as a receiver. And it's not necessarily often, you just can't screw up when you're given that shot. And this is why you hear about, you hear the same story with running backs, right? The thing that's going to keep a young running back off the field is pass protection. And it's yeah. not that you ask, they don't need to do it very often, but when they do, it's important. And you've got to at least make sure you don't have a mental mistake on those plays, even if you get beat physically. Yeah, big time. And you could tell, I'm not saying it's it's Musgrave's fault. I don't know the play call, but there were a few times in this game where Musgrave was in the same spot as some other receivers on the field. And you can you just tell both with Kraft and Musgrave that you can still see them thinking out on the field. And that's going to take a little bit of time, which we kind of expected going in. Before we get you out of here, I had to ask you a little bit about the NFC North. You have an interesting, uh, is maybe, I guess, one way to look at it, Vikings versus Bears game this Sunday. Last place in the NFC North, kind of on the line. The Bears finally pick up a win. They're coming off Thursday night football. Vikings have not only a, a loss against the Chiefs, which was sort of expected, but they lose Justin Jefferson. They're in a really interesting spot. And then maybe just to kind of follow up on that with Green Bay slipping back a little bit as well. Who's your, like, I guess not front runner, but who's the leader in the clubhouse to finish fourth in the NFC North right now. Yeah, I mean, I still think the Bears are the worst team in the division, but now the Vikings without Jefferson for at least four games, potentially longer, that's going to be tough sledding for them. Their defense is pretty atrocious, and the best thing about their offense isn't going to be playing for a month, if not longer. And if they lose a bunch of these games between now and then, there's no incentive to rush him back onto the field. You know what I mean? Like they, He might be gone for a, a much longer period than people are expecting. So they could be the worst team by the time all is said and done. Also, if that's the reality for the next month, you would imagine that they are a prime candidate to be sellers at the trade deadline and start trying to rebuild this thing and, and take uh, strip down the roster for anything they can get um, while the while the trades are good. So, you know, I, I think right now the Bears are still the worst team, but there's definitely a, a, a scenario or an outcome where the Vikings overtake them for the, the race to the bottom. And kudos to the Detroit Lions, who I feel like we're living in the upside down. They are at the top of the <laughs> NFC North. They are uh, dominating, and they might just freaking run away with the NFC North fa fairly easily the way things are looking right now. And they've built that team the right way. Dan Campbell has them built in his image. Uh, ben Johnson on offense is doing a, a lot of great stuff. It's just a, it's a fun team. As, as much as it pains maybe uh, Packer fans to say, that is a fun team to watch right now the way that they are playing. No, they they look really good, and they're that one game against Seattle away from being undefeated, undefeated, and everybody be talking about them as as good as any team in the NFL. Could not agree more, Sam. You are absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for doing this every single week. Uh, tell everyone about the Pro Football Focus NFL podcast as well as your work over at PFF. Yeah, five days a week for the PFF NFL podcast. Right now, you get it on YouTube or anywhere you get your podcasts. 
And make sure to give him a follow at PFF underscore Sam. You can follow me at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. That's going to do it for Sam and I today. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.